trust the movement I negate the chaos Uplift the negative I'll show up at the table Again and again Welcome to Grassroot Ohio Conversations with everyday people Working on important issues Here in Columbus and all around Ohio I'm Carolyn Harding And today I'm talking with Bill Lyons And Terry Lodge Organizers and legal counsel For the Columbus Community Bill of Rights and the Ohio Community Rights Network, fighting to protect the water, air, soil, and rights of Columbus Metro and communities facing environmental, social, racial, and economic harms throughout Ohio. Bill Lyons is a mathematics and science teacher who has taught nearly 40 years on four different continents at the high school and college levels. He is an organizer, co-organizer, of the Columbus Community Bill of Rights Group, and he is president of the Ohio Community Rights Group. He has been an activist since 2015 when he got involved in the community rights and rights of nature movements because he is passionate about local democracy and social and environmental justice. Harry Lodge has 50 years experience as an activist and civil and environmental rights lawyer. As a field attorney for the Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund, or CELDEF, since 2014, he's worked to gain ballot access for grassroots initiatives proposing controversial local laws, such as the rights of nature and control of the commons. In court, he's opposed nuclear power and weapons, corporate welfare, mountaintop removal mining, fracking, and has supported free speech and diversity in the workplace. He's been recognized by the Alliance for Nuclear Accountability, has received an Access to Justice Award, and is a past Ohio Civil Liberties Union champion. On April 16, 2021, the Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund, or CELDEF, issued a press release stating, a lawsuit demanding the temporary suspension of a unique Columbus City Charter petition rule was dismissed by the U.S. District Court for Southern Ohio on April 14, 2021. Petitioners seeking to ban harms from the fracking industry within Ohio's capital city and surrounding watershed filed the lawsuit in June 2020, arguing a June 2020 deadline on signature gathering was unconstitutional during the COVID-19 pandemic and should be extended the deadline effectively killed ballot access for the initiative, according to the lawsuit. The rule places a one-year timeline on ballot initiative petition gathering. The group has met these requirements in the past, and had it not been for state shutdown orders, were in position to meet the deadline. So, in effect, the U.S. judge denied the Columbus Community Bill of Rights their right for direct democracy. Harry, as an attorney, can you give an ever so brief description of what direct democracy is? Direct democracy is where the people get to propose actual laws, laws that would have teeth in them, and they get to circulate petitions, they get to work very hard, in other words, to put things on the ballot and to wage a campaign that often is or can be opposed by uh, major governmental or corporation interests, and uh, they get, if they're fortunate and have dotted every uh, I and crossed every T correctly, they uh, are rewarded with a chance 
to persuade their fellow citizens, fellow voters, to pass something into law. So initiative, citizen initiated, initiated ballot initiatives are direct democracy, correct? correct. Yes, okay. and it's, a, it's an unusual thing, uh, not recognized in all states, uh, but Ohio has since 1912 had an initiative and referendum um, amendment or in the Ohio Constitution, it was uh, seen as a as a response to increasingly corrupt governance, especially at the General Assembly level. All right, so Ohio is one of the few states that has this home rule or direct democracy. I think there are about twenty seven or twenty eight. Okay, great, Bill. Can you please tell our listeners break down what the Columbus Community Bill of Rights folks have done up to this date? In you know. Not too detailed, but to give them an update to where we are. Okay, you mean starting from our very first campaign or just this last one? Sure, but nice and brief. Sure, sure. Well, we've been uh, uh, fighting for uh, our local democratic right to uh, protect our water, our air, our soil, our environment from harms and specifically from the oil and gas industry and the fracking industry since 2014. So 2014 was our first ballot initiative uh, that, that started in mid 2014. And uh, we midway in that, well, actually early on, the city changed the rules. Back then there was no time limit on how long you had to gather signatures. So they put, a, a bunch of provisions because there was a, uh, a committee uh, created to look at amending the Columbus City Charter. And they proposed uh, a bunch of amendments that they put on the ballot and wrapped up in those, which a lot of people maybe weren't aware of, they decided to limit the ballot initiatives to one year. And so then the city council encouraged passage of that. So that got on the ballot in November and it was passed. So we started our campaign not having a time limit, but then uh, part of the way through it, we only had one year. So we turned in our signatures. By the time they were validated, we had over 13,000 uh, signatures, but we fell about 1,000 signatures short. And that was for a charter amendment to the Columbus City Charter. Then in March of uh, 2016, we started again, and this time we were going for a charter ordinance. And uh, we had a one-year campaign and we turned in our signatures in March of 2017. Uh, we collected over 11,000. And again, we fell about 1,000 signatures short. So uh, our third attempt was our big one, uh, well, most successful uh, to a point, we started collecting signatures and this was for an ordinance again in uh, June of 2017. And we collected over 18,000 signatures and uh, turned those in in June of 2018. And we had, uh, we met the signature requirement by more than 3,000. So we were way over it. We met the uh, requirements by the city council. Uh, the city attorney approved the, the language, the form of our initiative. The, the Columbus uh, City Council 
they voted to put our initiative on the ballot and the board of elections met and they decided to vote against our initiative appearing on the ballot and citing a law that was put in place in 2017, uh, which we feel is unconstitutional law that gave boards of elections legislative authority to keep citizen initiatives, uh, not, I mean, judicial authority to keep citizen initiatives off the ballot if they felt they were beyond municipal authority. So we've appealed that to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court, rather than rule on directly on that issue, they kind of went around it and ruled on some, uh, used some other ruling against us. So then, encouraged by what happened in Toledo after the Lake Erie Bill of Rights got on the ballot and some changes that the Supreme Court did just a few weeks after using a ruling against us, they changed that. And then the Lake Erie Bill of Rights got on the ballot and was passed in 2019 in February. So we started again in June of 2019 and this time for a charter amendment again. We were nine months, almost nine months into our campaign we collected almost 9,000 signatures up until uh, March of 2020 of last year. And we all know what happened, COVID hit. So we decided to uh, suspend our signature gathering because there were lockdown orders. And then we felt like, how could we responsibly risk the health of our members and the general public by collecting in-person signatures? So we suspended our uh, initiative at that time. And we then appealed to city council to extend our time since we only had this one year now to collect our signatures and we still had three months left. And we didn't feel that it was responsible for, for us to continue collecting signatures. So they refused to um, extend our, uh, to give us some relief from this. And so we we're we, then we asked them to put it on the ballot then and let people uh, vote, let them decide because they voted to put our initiative on the ballot the previous time. Again, they refused. And so therefore we were left to sue this time. So. Okay. So uh, a year ago, around a year ago, there was this, that um, Columbus Community Bill of Rights decided to sue the city of Columbus. Harry, can you break down this lawsuit and the decision in everyday people's language. Yes. Um, first of all, Bill's memory is impeccable and his summary of the enormous work that goes into preparation, hitting the pavement, you know, deciding what the wording of the, of the petition should be. All of that is uh, gobs and gobs, enormous hundreds of hours of work, all of it volunteer uh, and all of it very, uh, conducted in a way that has to comply with some pretty stringent legal requirements. Um, so what happened approximately this time last year, yeah, there was a uh, an initiative in Dayton that um, was, that we weren't, no one on, in, in this discussion was affiliated with, but um, a lawsuit was brought by the citizen organization there based upon the fact that uh, COVID was creating problems with their being able to organize because they couldn't get volunteers to go out and all that. And a federal judge briefly put into place an order that uh, allowed, extended their time to the 
petition. However, there was a, a, a urgent appeal taken to the circuit, which uh, canceled trial court order. We nonetheless, in uh, about June 17th or 18th, I can't remember the exact date last year, filed suit in the Columbus uh, Division of the Southern District of Ohio Federal Court. And the purpose was to seek essentially a day for day extension of time beyond the one year time limit, which would have run out about June 19th or June 20th, 2020. Um, the, we first sought an emergency order suspending the one year provision uh, that's called a temporary restraining order. The, we had a hearing and argued it for about an hour and a half or two uh, by Zoom. And uh, the judge declined to issue a temporary restraining order that still left the lawsuit pending. The uh, uh, case that I was talking about from uh, Dayton was by this point in time pending before the US Supreme Court uh, because it would have, had it been decided in favor of the citizens, it would have probably dispensed with the need for us to proceed. We suspended action on the case with the court's approval it, uh, on our case, the Columbus order. And um, it wasn't until months ago in March that the uh, we filed a response our, on behalf of the uh, Columbus organization, and the judge ruled upon it in April, uh, dismissing the lawsuit, finding that we did not citizens did not have a right to extend the one-year time limit. What was most uh, frustrating was that when the Dewine administration. Dr. Acton, the public health director, was issuing the orders in the late winter and spring months of 2020 regarding the pandemic. Uh, they were requiring, you know, they were shutting down businesses, they were, you know, imposing enormous restrictions and shutting down public activities, gatherings that would normally be attractive for petitioning activity. Uh, and so, and the, the, Citizens in the Columbus group, understandably, were very fearful for their personal health and safety and were, I'm sure, going to have problems getting people to volunteer to turn out because essentially all that was left was uh, going to things like the reduced activity in downtown Columbus and, you know, hitting up people on the sidewalk for petition signatures um, or perhaps going to what few gatherings might be taking place at public offices, such as the uh, unemployment agency. But even as that sort of thing was under contemplation, various governmental and private organizations were, you know, making themselves uh, very difficult to, to get uh, personally in touch with or to have face-to-face -face meetings with. So the gatherings just evaporated. But the, the Dr. Acton's orders kept repeating, all of them have this one clause that uh, First Amendment activity is not affected by these orders. And that turned out to be a an escape hatch for the court to rely on because the court insists in uh, its ruling of uh, April that because of the fact that First Amendment activity was not affected or shut down, restricted in any way by the health department orders, that the people had theoretical only right and opportunity to complete the
the petition campaign. Our our case was made on the fact that you have to have thousands of of excess signatures in order to ensure that you have enough to get on the ballot, as as Bill cogently explained. So, so it was it was kind of an absurd decision, um, but it's uh, the kind of thing that we've come to expect. The uh, the people's right, uh, and, and it's interesting. What was going on also in April, May of 2020, the Ohio General Assembly passes on a very urgent basis all kinds of changes, temporary suspensions to normal laws um, that uh, that they extended, actually extended all statutes of limitation in Ohio court filings uh, to at least the end of July 2020, which is astonishing, absolutely unprecedented. Uh, it it uh, because it was impossible other than to electronically uh, file in the courts. Um, the courts were uh, basically put on on hold in in terms of people's uh, rights, which were preserved. It became possible to, uh, by re remote application, renew driver's licenses, renew uh, hunting and fishing licenses, renew professional certifications, that sort of thing. Things that had formerly required in-person appearances or submissions. Um, but the people's right to initiative somehow didn't get extended in any way. And the Ohio uh, General Assembly uh, apparently did not take up the issue, nor did uh, the city council in Columbus. So with that, with that, let me do a quick station ID. Sure. This is Carolyn Harding with Grassroot Ohio. I'm talking with Bill Lyons and Terry Lodge. Um, discussing the Columbus Community Bill of Rights and the direct democracy that was denied by the courts. Um, Bill, I'd like to know what are some of the arguments that the city gave to deny the right to be put on the um, ballot? Okay, well, first of all, that the, the um, city appeal and they, they took their uh, decision from the city attorney, Zach Klein. And um, he made the statement and I'll quote, uh, the city attorney's office reviewed your request to extend the petition signature timeframe and determined that neither the mayor nor council have the power to override the charter even during an emergency. I wrote back to them because in the city charter, there is something called emergency measure. And the emergency measure states the council may, by a vote of six of its members, pass emergency measures to take effect at the time indicated therein an emergency measure is an ordinance or resolution for the immediate preservation of the public peace, property, health, or safety. And there's more to it, but that's that's the part that applies, I think, to us. So I wrote back and I said, certainly with a pandemic and the act of collecting signatures, that should qualify for a public emergency to preserve uh, health and safety. And they could invoke that measure and they could suspend all signature gathering for campaigns that were going on. And then once it's deemed safe, allow them to pick up where they left off and thereby still have a total of one year to collect their signatures, but just have a period in between where it's just too dangerous to, to suspend it. They never responded to my request for that. So uh, that was the first part. Then they said that when we asked them then to put it on the ballot, 
because then they refused to extend our time, uh, they were saying that, well, uh, they can't do that. Uh, it would be unprecedented to take a citizen uh, initiative and put it on the ballot. Well, they agreed that our initiative in the third uh, campaign should, should go on the ballot, first of all. Secondly, they get their ideas about things that should go on the ballot from all kinds of different sources. So the fact that we had something that came from the people, they also have the ability to put anything they want on the ballot. So that was a bogus argument there. So, so that's my answer to that. Terry, um, you chose to deal with one issue, that of the time lost due to the COVID shutdown in this lawsuit. Why? I, I'm sorry, I don't understand your question. Well, the focus of this lawsuit right. was about the time right. that was lost yes. or making up the time. Yes. Why did you choose such a narrow focus? Because um, that was because we, number one, the group voluntarily, after the pandemic order started coming down, the group suspended its activity. All of us were hoping, and we were being told inconsistent things by federal and state governmental leaders as to how long the, the lockdown might continue. There was some hope persisting in April and May in early June that maybe things would actually loosen up because the summer was coming and the, the virus is less uh, uh, less uh, spreadable during summer months, that kind of thing. And so the group was hoping that, you know, if they could salvage just a few weeks before the year ran out, that it wouldn't be necessary to file suit. We ended up filing suit because it was straightforward, because the issue is, it was, and, and still in my mind is very clear cut. Uh, it, it is grossly unfair and unfortunate and no one's fault that there was a pandemic. But as I say, with the General Assembly uh, creating and waiving and creating bypasses and time extensions for all manner of very important public and private affairs and matters, uh, it, it was certainly inconsistent for one of the most important democratic rights to not be treated in the same fashion. Uh, the uh, notably the the city's posture in this was as though there were there would be opposition like there were two sides to the issue of extending time since initiative is a people's right and yes while it could theoretically have been that someone might object and try to sue whoever from the public or from the corporate sector whoever might have opposed the Columbus Bill of Rights proposal would have to wait until the petitions had been circulated, signatures gathered, and the matters before the Board of Elections and and or ultimately the courts. That's why the courts are there, to sort things out. It's not for the politicians on city council or the political acts of a mayor and his or her administration to basically shut down a citizen initiative campaign. So, Terry... Can you tell us your estimation of the judge's final say, the um, U.S. court judge? Do you think that their legal justification is right? Is it logical? Or no. did they really miss, some, miss the point? Well, it, it is problematic on a, on a wider scale than simply whether or not the courts have the power to extend uh, citizen initiative petitioning. Um, the the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, the Intermediate Court of Appeals here that uh, operates uh, federally over Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio, and Michigan, 
has, has held several times that state management of initiative is kind of a secondary matter that is left up to the states who may have arguments of efficiency or election economy that basically whatever the states think is proper and and by states I, I, I would say the general assembly and city councils when you're talking about local uh, election initiative management but basically the holding has been in recent years that essentially whatever the states want to do is fine the federal courts aren't going to step in and that's a, a real serious problem because there there is a line of uh, constitutional precedent going back to the early 1980s that says that petitioning and initiative participation, if you will, participation and putting something on the ballot and campaigning and voting for it is First Amendment protected speech because you're associating with people. One of the uh, clauses in the First Amendment is the, the right not just to free speech, but to petition the government for redress of grievances. And that's exactly what this is. Yet the uh, federal courts are backing away, uh, not just in the Sixth Circuit, but certainly uh, in Ohio and the Sixth Circuit states, Michigan in particular, backing away. They're not protecting the initiative right. It's it's very troubling. It's it. Unfortunately, uh, it seems to be uh, in the same tone and uh, handled in the same manner, uh, these pronouncements, as the Ohio Supreme Court, which, as uh, Bill pointed out, keeps finding these whack-a-mole ways of ducking the issue of the citizens' apparent unfettered right to put whatever they wish on the ballot for a vote. Okay, we have one minute left. Bill, how can people get more information? Well, uh, our web website has information about this, which is uh, columbusbillofrights.org. They can find that. Also, they can write to us at info. I think it. I think our address is info at columbusbillofrights.org. Yeah. So those are a couple couple ways that they can contact us. There. They can reach folks also through um, Ohio Community Rights Network as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Well, Ohio Community Rights Network, right? That's, uh, and that's I have one more question. What's next? Can the citizens take it to another um, um, judge? Or is this over? Do we have to start over again? It's over. We're, we're not going to, in light of what happened to the Dayton case, we are not going to petition the U.S. This particular round is over. Yeah. Okay. So what's next for the um, Columbus Community Bill of Rights? I mean, there still is injection wells um, putting toxic radioactive frack waste in the watershed of Columbus. So what do Columbus citizens do, Bill? Well, uh, first of all, uh, look for us because at some point we, we will probably have another ballot initiative. They can uh, donate to our campaign and sign up for our newsletter to get uh, updated information on the website as well. They can help us uh, uh, help write about the injustice of this. I mean, the more people we we get on our side, the more we can fight this kind of hypocrisy. And I understand that there are um, citizens every week at the Columbus um, City Council talking about how the City Council should support the Columbus Community Bill of Rights. Yes, yes, we're letting them know we have lots of supporters and lots of people who who, uh, are upset about what happened here. All right. Thank you so much for your legal um, advice, Terry. Thank you so much for your hard work. 
bill and leading the charge. And um, this issue is not done, even though the judge say we should give up. The pollution is still happening and folks are not going to have it. So um, we'll find new ways, won't we? Yes, we will. Yes. We're not going to give up. It's too important. All right. Any words of advice? Well, I think that uh, we've got to let people know to fight back yeah, and keep, keep, uh, keep the pressure. Terry? We only lose when we quit. Yes. That's All right. right. Thanks, gentlemen. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. In addition to our Friday 5 p.m. broadcast on WGRN.org, Grassroot Ohio will now air on Sundays at 2 p.m. on WCRSFM.org, 92.7, 98.3 FM Columbus, and at 4 p.m. on WEJPLP 107.1 FM in Wheeling, Moundsville, West Virginia. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Grassroot Ohio, 94.1 FM, WGRN.org. We air Friday nights at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you can listen to all our previous shows archived on the top post of our Grassroot Ohio Facebook page. There's a time to listen and learn, a time to organize and strategize, and a time to stand up, fight back. I'm down.